Hi, everybody. You're listening to Bushwick Junction on Radio Free Brooklyn. Bushwick Junction is a show hosted by me, Asha Saluja, about life's inflection points. It's about the crossroads in our lives, which paths we choose when we reach them, and where those choices lead us or don't. We'll talk about the decisions we agonized over and the decisions we didn't even realize we were making until years after we made them. We'll talk about how we decide things, how we weigh our options, or how we tap into our intuitions. And we'll talk about the degree to which our choices matter. Do we have any control over the things that alter our fate, or do we end up in the same place no matter which roads we take? On each show, I have a new guest tell me about all the big decisions they've ever made in order. We start with birth, fast forward to their first big decision, and map out the road their life has taken as a series of these inflection points or junctions. With that, I will introduce today's very special guest who promised, who has promised you, listener, the music of the universe, so I hope he delivers. Christian Larson Takaris is a social entrepreneur and software developer living here in Brooklyn in the most interesting residential space I've ever seen in my 27 years on this planet Earth. Christian, hi. Hello. Thanks for being here. You're welcome. Um, so the first question on this show, and... You know, one that you can skip if you don't feel like talking about it is tell me about the circumstances into which you were born. Um, two young parents by today's standards, mid-early 20s in the middle 70s uh, with no money on Medicaid, uh, smart people, not educated, um, who then ended up working a whole lot and moving to a school system that was good a good public school system got a good education and the privilege that comes with that and just um have been you know uh kind of grounded in that but not uh not tethered to it so much hmm so we're thanking the the public school system public resources don't get enough of a shout out this day and age uh where where was that where did you i was in upstate new york gotcha um so actual upstate you know up upstate right i i'm not local enough to hear to have these uh political like quandaries about what's considered upstate yeah. do you want to give a city shout out uh albany albany gotcha yeah. so albany. we're thanking the public school system in the albany no we're not actually oh. i grew up in the suburbs outside the albany schools are terrible and that for the good schools in the suburbs sadly all right, so we're thanking the larger metropolitan area of Albany's state school system. Um, we're thinking about education and the role it played. Uh, that was a really, really concise answer to that question. Kudos. So tell me about the first big decision you ever made. Um, so... Uh, the first big one was to drop out of college after like a year and a half, two years. Um, and, and yes, that can be like a fuzzy number <laughs> in somebody's life. It was a process, but, uh, um, and then work and, um, try to figure out what I wanted to do with my life. Cause I had been on the road to being an academic since I was in high school. Interesting. So like Christian's going to be a scholar. So. Did you want to be a, what's the first thing you remember wanting to be? Was it that? Yes. A, a professor specifically. 
sort of like someone who lives in academia does yeah, research yeah. and teaches also. Yeah, I mean, like being somewhere in like a research institute where I didn't have to teach what? actually was kind of my first dream job. Hmm. Um, what was your subject area of interest? Uh, evolution and the foundations of biology. Wow. So tell me how that, how that, how did that take root? Uh, wanting to know how the world worked and looking around at it and seeing that, you know, we're part of this large biological system. And at the time, um, you know, people really, it, it's, it's hard to uh, kind of describe how quickly I think, um, and probably like climate change and stuff like that has precipitated this, how quickly people have gone to this feeling that like we're really inherent with nature, even in like mainstream Western thought. But <clears throat> I found in academic, like academic stuff in the time in the 80s, um, the late 80s and early 90s, uh, there was really this kind of like biology is like plants and animals. And that's what the domain that it has to like offer explanations in. And then there's like economics and stuff like that. And it was really the only the, like the leading thinkers who are very fringe, like the people at the Santa Fe Institute in particular, who are really saying like, no, these are like systems, you know, we're all part of these same systems and there's got to be ways that they all, you know, exhibit the same behaviors and they're operating under similar laws and um, you know, trying to like draw that line between biology and physics, um, and sociology. Yeah, uh, my brain went exactly there. It was funny that you <laughs> you followed you like beat me there, but yeah. So to be sort of a kid, a teenager, and say I want to know how the world works, and to have the next step be, well, I want to be a research biologist. <laughs> me being outside I wanted to be of a theoretical biologist. Actually, it's something mm -hmm. that there's very few people. There's very few of those jobs. You got to be really committed to get one of those jobs. Um, so let's talk about your level of commitment. <laughs> <laughs> so I wasn't committed to academia. That was clear. I got into it, uh, you know, by entering college. Like, and I had like, some exposure beforehand, but, you know, being immersed in it in college and seeing that my favorite professors were kind of miserable mm. and, you know, amazing people doing amazing work and just beaten down by the system and the hours um, and weren't enjoying their lives and weren't feeling, I don't think, like they had an impact um, except outside the classroom and there, you know, um, to like the field and to their students. But it was a very insular sort of thing. And I just felt like I have to be out in the world and um, doing stuff. Hmm. I'm, I'm curious. I'm not going to challenge you on that, but I'm curious. You just said like, these professors weren't having an impact except in their field of research and to the people in their classroom. Like, were you expecting a more broad scope in that profession than you ended up seeing? Like, what's the um, most impact a professor? Well, if it had been an easy road, then it would have been great, you know, mm. but it, the, the trade-off was too much, I thought. Interesting. Um, in just terms of raw years, like you're, you're studying for years and years before you can start to have an impact? Yeah, yeah. It's a very long road. And it's just very um, abstract. And and everyone in that environment, uh, unless you can find a special place, and even the special places are hard to, you know, maintain this, is like drawing you away from that, right? Makes drawing sense. you into the institution, into the like bubble. Hmm. Um, Were you like a little the bit... siren call of the academic bubble. <laughs> It's not not that tempting for most people. Not like a sexy sea lady or anything. What I'm curious, um, 
in that year, uh, what, where was I going to go with this? In that year and a half, what else did you start envisioning? Like, was there another siren call or was it just a process of um, disillusionment with what you saw? Hmm. No, I, I, I just, it was kind of like a, a reset, you know, it, and, uh, opportunity to be like, okay, that path isn't going to work. Um, is there a path that feels right? Um, you know, and so I, I'd gone to school out what well, I lived upstate. I went to school out West. I came back, I worked in a restaurant, I took classes, um, and I studied and made art a lot, uh, and logic. I did a lot of work in logic. The music? What? No, Say like, that. Uh, like the, theoretical logic? Yeah, like what deep into the like, even nature mean? of logical systems. And How like, did, what are all, you know, when you're talking about the properties of different like, logical systems and stuff like that, the super abstract stuff, the stuff where you're getting a C and you're, the uh, other people in the class are asking you to tutor them. Mm. <laughs> well, and you're sitting down with the professor for an hour and they're like, oh, you just have to think about it more. It's hard. I want to skip back real quick. When when we think about the disillusionment with what you saw, was any of it institution based? Where you sort oh, of, it was all institution based. So, do you think it would have? Were you were were you turned off by institutions in general at that time in your life, or were you disillusioned with that the particular institution you ended up at? I ended up at a great one and I thought, well, this is as good as it gets and mm. I don't want part of it. That's so powerful. Like if the, if I'm at the best, if, I, if I'm in the best possible iteration of what I'm looking to do and it's bad, you should probably do something. Yeah, exactly. I was uh, like, ah. Tell me what it looks like to work on logic. Like what, what uh, do you do? Like uh, what I don't do you know sit if you down really want to do? go down that hole. But, Can um, you do it in by, I, by 4.15? I mean, yeah, it's just... Um, you know, you start simple and, uh, you know, with, with systems that uh, describe little bits of things, right? So you have, a, you have an intuitive sense of what logic is, right? You have an intuitive sense of negation. And I don't mean intuitive like it's coming out of your genes. I mean, like, you know, whatever imbues it with you, like we all kind of have it. Um, and you have this sense that like two things can be correct or not, that there's truth values to things. These are very deeply intuitive things. And you just build off of that. But then when you start trying to build that into a formal structure, you know, problems start happening and things don't align right. And then it becomes a problem. Of, you try to think through how, you know, why that is and how you could change the systems and in order to create better ones um, and to understand how we cognate. Just in practice though like what is that it looks like math but kind of simpler with you know it has a symbol system Hmm. that goes around with it and you know it looks like algebra how how do you get started like is there some body of work that you can like log into and then work from there yeah i mean i'm sure online because i learned it a long time ago Hmm. i haven't looked recently but i'm sure like there's math like you know you can start from the basics like addition and subtraction online with math i'm sure there's you can learn logic the same way and it's it's easier to learn than a lot of math, I think. Fascinating. What, but it gets extremely abstract when you start trying to think about the nature of these things in a grand way. Um, and it, it's just very hard to think about. What kind of art were you making? Um, mostly sculpture. 
uh, drawing, like drawing was probably the hardest class I've ever taken cognitively. Well, um, it hurt my brain. I have to take naps after I did drawing sessions. I get that. Um, <laughs> I do. But, uh, uh, sorry, repeat the question. Just what kind of art were you uh, making? Um, I, it, it was very tied in with kind of how I was thinking about the world, um, at the time, which was, uh, like reading a lot about the systems thinkers who were important in the nineties and before. Um, and, uh, and I wanted to have, uh, I want to have objects that people experienced and they had an experience with, I guess that was really like the foundation of what I was thinking about with art at the time, um, was how do you like bring that person in to the piece? How do, how, how do they, how does it become a, a relationship? Um, and sometimes in like very simple, quiet ways, um, and sometimes in more kind of traumatic, uh, but never like theatric, but more, um, movement, like through a space and something's happening. And then sometimes maybe something you do repetitively or something you don't only can be together when you hold it. Were you experimenting medium wise? Like, were you, were you uh, getting no, futuristic have... or were no, you just no. making sculpture and driven by those principles? No, I wasn't getting futuristic. I didn't have it. First of all, the future wasn't there then. And even the future that, wasn't there then. Yeah. And even, uh, I think you're mistaken. <laughs> well, uh, you know, 3d printing and stuff like that. And like using computers to like drive right, I understand. stuff really hadn't arrived. And, and so I was, no, I, I was just fabricating what I needed to fabricate to make the things I was thinking about. That's interesting. All art is about the experience that the beholder has. I think if you just put that front and center, you're probably going to be making better art. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so you're in this period where you're working for a paycheck and experimenting with things you love. And how how does that period of your life end? Um, with the realization that, you know, whatever you're doing is it's really based on like how well you understand the world, like how effective you can be. And that I wasn't really done with that path. So I went back to school Oh, and tried to finish my degree, but because of like strange circumstances ended up with a lot of credits. And Did you go back to the same school? Yeah. So I had gone to SUNY Albany, um, to do a bunch of requirements and do all this art stuff and a bunch of logic and some other stuff. I think I matriculated there for like uh, a year and then and took some and a bunch of other classes before it was like two and a half years, I think. And then when I went back, I had so I had all those credits and then when I went back, I finished my degree, but I had to write a thesis and I had taken basically and I'd also audited a bunch of classes (laughs) when I left before and I'd basically taken like every class that I wanted to take and nobody was really going to help me with my thesis. Because uh, it was weird and it wasn't well, under anybody's tell research. Me. Uh, well, it was just weird because I was doing a dual degree with philosophy and biology, and I wanted to, um, I wanted to look at what is function, like the definition of function in biology from a philosophical perspective. And the the, the scope, the, the the scoop was that if you weren't working on your advisor's research, like you know, they kind of just read your drafts and and wished you luck. Um, and I had taken all the courses and I would have had to matriculate for a whole year to write my thesis. 
And even though it looks like a bargain price now, it's like hemorrhaging cash. So mm-hmm. I was just like, okay, I'm just not going to graduate. Um, and yeah, so that was the second big decision there. Let's talk about, let's, okay. So you felt a little bit like you were flying under your, like the, the uh, faculty's radar. Like you, none of them were going to take you under their wing. You yeah, I mean, people bit. liked me, but it just, yeah. it, it didn't make sense. I mean, they would have had to learn a lot about what I was interested in just to like really be helpful. And I, it's not reasonable to expect. Right. Um, Can we contend with the fact for a second that like most people who are going to college, university, mm-hmm. masters, whatever, are also hemorrhaging cash and sort of see some value in finishing, right? Like, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's what everyone was telling me at the time, yeah, right? So like, you're an idiot. Finish, how did you're an you idiot, decide that you didn't need to do that? Because uh, like, I decided that really the only reason I was there was so that I could potentially go to grad school without a hassle. And that if I really wanted to go to grad school later in life, I could make it happen. Unless I had screwed my life up and was on the street or, you know, whatever. Um, well, can you make it happen? Like, you can make that happen by going back to eventually finish school. So it was just like an hour later thing, right? Yeah, if I really need it, I'll do it later. Were you so. thinking in that time about your future profession and kind of making the call safely that it didn't require you to do this, the thing that most people do? I think, I mean, I had a deep sense that I wasn't going to follow some, like, path to, you know, I wasn't going to, like, go to grad school, get the PhD, you know, from a good program, have these, like, high high power friends around me, get put into some institute. Like, that just wasn't going to happen because I just didn't live my life in a way that was conducive to that. Hmm. Um I was kind of a radical, you know, heretic kind of guy. And uh, so it just didn't seem like that was, I mean, and I just didn't want to like press into the wheel hard enough to like make that kind of trajectory happen for the six year years or so you have to do. Where does your heresy come from? <laughs> uh, everyone's wrong about everything and they won't admit it. What? <laughs> I was thinking more like I had rebellious parents or like, I don't know, I had a really interesting older friend who told me to question every, Like, No, we're just all idiots and we're just all like convinced we know how things are. And uh, if you start from that premise, which I think is basically correct, um, you know, we're not smart beings generally. You know, we're like bumbling around, screwing up the planet, not responding to what's really happening head in clouds or in our little bubbles or whatever we're not like geniuses and uh but everyone's like oh this is how it is we're not geniuses compared to what compared to like the possibilities of uh you know a species that really could do amazing things what possibilities well, how do we like know they're trillions real? of planets and <laughs> you know there's got to be smart people somewhere what if we're the people who are actually ones? right well i mean we show ourselves to be wrong so often <sighs> Wow. We're so, we have so many cognitive biases, right? We're really adapted for small group living. Um, You know, truth is like not a super big deal. Um, Much more is cooperation and like a unity of belief and, and, and purpose. Um, And so I just don't think we're there yet. You know, we're all going to be wrong for a long time. Let's admit it. Wow. That's so much to chew on. So I guess uh, 
applying that to the premise of my show and we're making decisions where we're, we're just fucking up all the time. Like well, we're never no, going to do it you right. Can, you can do it better or not for sure. Do you think that? Oh yeah. I, I labor over decisions. Oh, tell me more. <laughs> like, uh, I well, mean, I, I, I just think about them. I just turn them in my head. I, I, um, I try to, I try to see how different thinking about different alternatives makes me feel. Um, you use feelings. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's what we're good at, right? Like mm. we're good at like creating this gestalt and intuitions about things. Yeah. Um, it sucks, you know, when you're wrong, if that's what you're good at. Uh, cause, but I was uh, going to counter you when you said we're all bumbling idiots. I'm like, but maybe we're just really good at having feelings. Ha- even just having our own feelings is a form yeah. of intelligence that we we maybe are the best at in the whole universe. Yeah. Maybe I don't know. Probably not. Okay. Um, <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I mean, that, I think you can you if you try to I, I, we're we're good at wrapping a lot of information up at once. And having a like a kind of it's good, it's bad sort of response to it. We're really good at that. Most people just like don't try it, I don't think, and don't try to clear their head to do it. So if I'm getting this right, I, I kind of want to like nail down your more elegant theory at, before we get to the big decision so we can play it out at every junction. But your <laughs> your like methodology is basically... I'm going to play out every scenario in my head, see how it makes me feel. Well, and then also think about what the potential outcomes are and mm. and and if it if if it really makes sense, you know, given what I know that's possible and what the kind of percentages are. So playing out to furthest possible. Yeah, not like outcomes. a chess game, but but more like, you know, is this path like is this like an attractive thing to do, but kind of a dead end, you know, just trying to. So is that something you are already doing intentionally at that junction, the not graduating one, or is this something you've acquired a taste for over time? Uh, I think I was doing it. I I do do it more. I wouldn't have been able to articulate it in the way I do now at that point. Do you think that we become less of bumbling idiots over the course of our life? Uh, It all depends on the person. Cool. Uh, Okay, so let's fast forward to a next big decision. Or briefly tell us what happens after you make that decision. Um, I try to get a job as a environmentalist because I how what What does that mean? As a biologist uh, with like a specialty in ecology and evolution. Hmm. and so there are policy shops, you know, that say this is what's happening in the environment and this is how we should respond to it. Um, sort and of like advocate s- for that. science expert think tanks type, type of thing. Yeah, like NRDC would yeah. be like probably the biggest national one that people would know. Um, but I went back to upstate New York and I was trying, there was like one in the state capitol and there probably still is. And God bless them for being there, but they didn't have a job for me. And what I realized by looking at a bunch of others was that there were very few jobs in that field and the people that were getting them were people who had done internships and already had relationships. Um, So it really didn't matter. So I just started kind of casting about for doing something that I liked. Uh, And I talked myself into a job at the Civil Liberties Union 
working in say the, it again the civil the New York Civil Liberties Union. Oh, so the cool. New York State affiliate. CLU, ACLU. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, doing environmental work. No. Ooh. They just do civil liberties stuff. And so I'd given up. I was like, basically, I'm not going to find one of those jobs unless I, at the time, I didn't want to move to a big city because I was going to be making so little and working for a nonprofit that I didn't want to live the lifestyle that would be required. Get some entry level job in a nonprofit and live in New York or Boston or something. So I was going to like hide out for a little bit <laughs> in a less expensive place. Mm. Um, so. Uh, yeah, I talked my way into that job, and I worked on civil rights and civil liberties. Uh, ended up being for many, many years in different capacities. Um, and, so, was it almost happenstantial? Like you're kind of yeah. I mean, there were a limited, probably number of issues that I or organizations that I would want to work for, um, and but that was one of the issues. I mean. I didn't talk my way into a job by being like, I'm really cool because I really understood the issues and I had a a lot of passion for them. So did you have, did you have anything on paper that you like, did you have any experience? I studied uh, a bunch of political science. That Mm. was really it. And this was entry level. You, it was at at a place where you just had to be interested basically. Uh, In a way, but I mean, I think, you know, there were probably people with master's degrees that had applied for that job. Gotcha. Um, how did that go? Uh, really well. Uh, but under really hard circumstances. So, um, first of all, 9-11 happened and the response from the government was not... Um, it, it, the the legal response, the legislative response was uh, not well thought out um, and was hysterical, basically. Mm. And you had a bunch of people who had been trying to create a whole bunch of changes in the New York State criminal justice system for many, many years, decades, who were like, oh, this is the time. And so we just fought against the tide of a lot of really terrible legislation and the kind of stuff where you see, and I think, you know, prosecutors have gotten uh, ahead of this now and stuff. You don't see this much anymore, but, you know, like teenager on, you know, Twitter makes threat and is now a felon and stuff like that. You know, we saw all that coming and, and told people about it and we're ringing the alarms and it didn't work. And then. I worked um, also on a couple issues that are now popular, but at the time were very small, and and we were also fighting against a a tide that we couldn't stem, uh, working on voting rights issues and criminal justice reform. So I beat my head against the wall for a lot of years, and, you know, just you you can't do it forever. Did you feel... (laughs) Did you feel like you were on the same side as your organization on everything or most things? Or did you feel like it was you guys fighting the tide of sort uh, of No, like- there were a lot of people. I mean, the criminal defense bar in New York was really good on, on particular issues. Um, the problem, the, the biggest problem is that you can get everybody on board on an issue, all sides to agree. And if the politicians have decided that politics dictates that we do a b or c it's really not going to matter um and i worked on issues where the politics often dictated and there were small um there were small groups of advocates and concerned citizens and luckily that's changed but i think because those things were terrible you know 
10 years ago and are just gotten more terrible over time. Now people like talk about them all the time, but that was the frustration. Wow. Um, I feel like we could have a whole show about that. That's such a, such a time and a place really of like you were centered in a crazy moment in human history. Yeah. Some good things did happen. I one of the first lobby visits in the state capital here in New York for same sex marriage. And that was the one big victory over that time that I was already out by the time we won that. But if you had asked the people um, in whatever, 2004, you know, how long is this going to take and will the legislature pass it or will it be the courts? Um, you know, none of us would have said less than 10 years. Wow. And uh, it was significantly less than 10 years. I mean, we we're like 32% approval at that point or something like that. And even your friends are was being like, you know, I can't say I support six this. Six years? Was that 2011? <laughs> something like that, yeah. Gotcha. How did that end? How, why did you stop? Um, I wanted to move. I had been in the Capitol for a long time. And mm. uh, and I I wanted to do other things. And there wasn't really a like obvious place up for me without getting a JD. So, which everyone advocated. Why didn't you want to get a JD? Oh, I hate the law. I mean, <laughs> the law is like the worst literature ever written, right? Like, right. I, f- I completely feel you, but also you'd been working in it. Yeah. You, I been- mean, well, that was the other thing. After all those years, I mean, don't want to learn court procedure and stuff like that. I know all the interesting stuff. I mean, I've hmm. done a lot of legal analysis. I can talk the Constitution as well as anybody. Um, and so... You know, it's just it'd get, it would just be doing it to do it, and I had other options. So, which were? Um, well, I had expertise, and I had worked through when the Help America Vote Act uh, was passed, which was the bill that wa- was the response to the hanging chads and the election in Florida, and the first time, um, you know, the winner lost, and uh, so. There was a big process to implement that in New York State, and I kind of, by proximity and interest, um, ended up leading the lobbying effort for the groups advocating around that for like pro voter reform. Uh, this is ABBA. separately from your yeah. work with the CLU. This is no, no. Of- this was as, as a person at the CLU. So and you were working. Your capacity there was as a lobbyist, essentially. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so, oh, sorry. Where was I? Um, we were sort of talking about your your way out of this life, but you were working on <laughs> my the whole life is in my mind right now, and I'm like, Bill. oh yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, so I gained some expertise uh, because I was kind of the lead guy on this big voting reform package, which touched like kind of all the issues around voting reform, and so, and then I had done the criminal justice work, so um, I got a job in the city uh, working for a shop that did. Um, basically brought together progressive um, legislators at the state level around the country to try to do unified work around core progressive issues. And so they hired me to be the democracy and elections guy. So this was right after? you. There was this no was break? Like, yeah. You were like... There was some break. I, actually, I went and I, uh, I spent the winter at Killington uh, working on the mountain and snowboarding all the time. And I highly recommend that if you have a chance in your life to, and you'd like to do that sort of thing. Be a ski bum? Be a ski bum, yeah. I mean, it's kind of the only way to be good unless you're rich and just can go all the time. Hmm. Um, 
was uh, fun. So I did that in between. Did you quit the CLU without a next step, but knew that there would be sort of stuff brewing? Yeah. Cool. <laughs> was that a hard decision? Um, I had kind of been doing it. I wasn't doing lobbying anymore. I was doing policy analysis and writing reports and stuff like that. And, um, you know, we had, it was a, it was a process probably over a year. Tell me about your decision to take this new job. Was what, what did you feel like you were accomplishing by doing that? Like, what was it? What boxes was it checking for you? Um, even though I was like an only guy, it was like my thing, my program. I got to interact with everyone and make all the decisions and do all the writing. You wanted to be in charge of something. Yeah. And if it had worked out, then there was a chance that could grow. Um, I thought the organization was taking an interesting approach um, in the face of not a lot of organizations taking interesting approaches. So I want to take a step back or out, sort of. You talked about wanting to be a research or a theoretical biologist, and like you seem to have had a one track mind toward that. And you didn't mention interest in social justice or activism or the <laughs> law uh, until we arrived at the point of you having that job. So can we trace back that thread a little bit farther? Like where did this, where did this interest come from? Um, I mean, I was always interested in like the same sort of thing, like what makes the world the way it is, you know, what are the systems that control my life, the people around me. And and the political and the economic systems are obviously central to that. So I right. had an interest in them. Even though they're all biological. Yeah. I mean, I would, exactly. <laughs> yeah. It's all ecology, right? And then in the end, it's all entropy. Well, it's all entropy. Um, what, what other things do you extend this to? So you're interested in the systems that control your life and we start with entropy and then we talk about ecology and then we talk about socioeconomics. And I'm curious what else, what other things you actually said specifically, there are only a couple things I was interested in doing. Mm -hmm. Are there any other ones? Um, Were there in this time of your life? Well, yeah, I, um, I interviewed for a job, um, working with the arts organization. Um, the Rockefeller Foundation, I think, mm. had funded a thing called Leveraging Investments in Creativity. Mm. And it was a time when, like, you know, artists were getting kicked out of their housing uh, all over the place. And there was a lot of out-migration from the urban areas of artists to, like, smaller cities, and things were getting fragmented, and people were looking f for solutions. Um, so they funded them for like, I think five years and they had an artist space, um, project and I interviewed to run that. Um, and so what's the relationship you draw between the arts and the systems that control your life? Well, the systems that control my life don't care much about the arts. <laughs> hmm. And so I thought, um, you know, uh, it was important to uh, 
try to preserve. Uh, I think artists in the city, I think there's a, you know, there are reasons that certain times are more fertile for the fertile for the arts. And one of those reasons is that you can all be together in these like culturally diverse spaces. And if you can't afford to be together, then you lose something fundamental about the, the arts in your culture and community. And it was a time when a lot of people were getting pushed out and now they're out and kind of the decisions have been made and the wars have been lost. Um, but at the time, I think there was still a chance to like make a big difference if people had pushed really hard. But I don't think um, I don't think they were able to get a wave around them. I think art space and Minneapolis has done good work, but it's really like you know one project is like five years, and you can't really get the momentum you need to get the numbers you need. Feeling just a lot of not pessimism from just yeah. I feel like where you're coming from is a place that things are bad right now oh yeah i mean obviously everything is falling apart yeah i mean yeah (laughs) i feel like you're someone with a really uh unique and just sort of stepped back perspective like if you're talking about entropy controlling all of us you're the type of person i expect to come in hot with the Things are actually, you know, in the long run, things are going to be fine. Like, no, no, that's one of the biases that people have. Those people that are always like, oh, don't worry about it. I, I, yeah, they, they stick out like a sore thumb to me as mm. being wrong, generally. So, I mean, the people thought the economy is great, right? We saw this credit bubble um, building and building and building. And you could look and see that, right? It's on the charts. Like, oh, look, credit bubble. Mm-hmm. Everything's different now. That's always the refrain, right? Everything's different now. And so... You go through enough cycles that you realize it's not. <laughs> did you have this same feeling back when nine eleven happened? Like, did you feel then like things were worse than ever? Have you progressively your whole life? I actually felt like- didn't think that nine uh, eleven wasn't a huge turning point for me and my pessimism. Um, not the reaction of legislators after it. Oh, oh, yeah. Like the the, the way the culture changed. Yeah. Uh, okay. I thought you meant to like some feeling of like being under that. No, no. I mean, go. Okay. what you were observing yeah, happen yeah. around you in the wake of it. Um, I, I don't know. It's hard to put myself back in that time quite that way. No pressure. Yeah. Uh, let's talk more about decisions. So. How did how did this new job go? Also, where did it take you? Is that when you moved? That's when I moved to the city. Okay. Um, took me around the country. I met a bunch of interesting people. Uh, shout out to one of the most interesting was the woman who's now running for Senate in Arizona, Kirsten Cinema. Wow. Who wrote a book? Who you, you should read it. So you can read it in a weekend. Uh, it's great. It's about working about uh, with people who you don't agree with. Um, by matching your values to theirs and finding those spaces and ignoring the other ones and getting shit done. Great plug. Great advice. Thanks. No um, uh, but yeah, I did. Uh, it was the first time I think, you know, people have been doing that for a while now, but the kind of progressive community in America was just starting to push this kind of we all need a a unified agenda and we all need to work together sort of thing. We're too fragmented and um, and working with state legislators is great because you know the ones we're working with are the ones who are super committed and they're working with this other organization and flying around the country to meet their peers to talk strategy and to 
share resources and you know they're the real stars um, being around those people is great you know obviously so um but it's also tiring you know there's you're like it's kind of like journalism or like a lot of those jobs where you're just kind of like in that on the treadmill all the travel time. heavy lifestyle yeah. yeah okay lots of deadlines does that was that the <laughs> The burnout was that was burnout the end of this story? Oh no, I would have done that more. Um, I would have kept on that path probably through inertia. Uh, I didn't like the people I was working for. Hmm. Uh, nobody, everyone was kind of miserable. Um, so, and at the time, that was that was definitely the next major inflection point. Was figuring out after that whether I was going to you know, try to get some other job working um, on elections policy or criminal justice reform um, or whether I was going to try to break out of the box. Um, That's so what, this is sort of the opposite of your decision one where you weren't in the best iteration of what you wanted to do, right? Like you didn't like the people you were working for. You probably could have found something slightly less, oh. slightly more comfortable. Yeah, yeah. Um, that was definitely an option, but what I, there were still small fields at the time, and I knew most of the people who were involved, and this was during the financial crisis, and wallets were snapping shut, and so the people were losing their jobs and not building out programs, and it was, it was kind of musical chairs with the mm -hmm. jobs, and so that was a part of it for sure, and then I also looked at, you know, the kind of possibility topography of my future and I was getting <clears throat> a level of expertise in the work I was doing where it would have been very hard to do a lateral jump after my next job uh, because I would have been running something I would have had people under me and the idea would either be to just hold on or to keep climbing that ladder but people would be kind of weirded out if I was like actually I'm just going to bail on that they think I'm having a life crisis um, or something. And I was like, okay, this might be my last chance to move laterally if I don't. And you said you weren't playing a chess game. That sounds highly <laughs> chess-like to me. You were like three steps ahead. You were like, in one step, I won't be able to move diagonal because that king's there. Like, right. Well, I don't know. Maybe I, I think a chess is like more than three steps. I think three steps is normal. Maybe I'm um, dumb. Chess. I'm <laughs> um, just a bad chess player. Okay, so but, uh, you're anyway. thinking a couple steps ahead, yeah. which is what we talked about. You're clearing the headspace to yeah. envision possible outcomes. Yeah, so I'm not going to do politics myself. Um, and Why? Oh, I don't want to. I mean, I've always been the guy who would rather write the speech than give it. Um, yeah. Anyway. But so, so yeah, so either I was going to go up or I was going to go out and, but not with the same organization, but up in the same field. And, um, and I was just not old enough to like, feel like that was a good thing to do. Um, and I hadn't done, you know, I had been to the civil liberties union for a long time, you know, uh, seven years I was there. And so I just thought about what's my skill set. And where does it transfer? Um, and so, and who do I know and where can I get work, you know, potentially? So I figured what I'm good at is doing research and making making a pitch, right? Like that's what I've been doing in different contexts and um, both 
you know, subject matter contexts and, and medium contexts and all those sort of, uh, variations. And, uh, so I figured I could be a good fundraiser. And the other thing is, you know, I only want to work on things that I really care about, or if it's just like, you know, a job to make money, that's fine. Um, but I don't want something in between, right? Like something I don't kind of care about, but I really am Have supposed to, to, care to care about. about. Yeah. yeah like I don't so how does place. fundraising accomplish that goal? That actually feels like something that, is it by virtue of the fact that you can pick and choose what you're going to fundraise for? Yeah. Um, yeah, that it was easy to do kind of freelance work um, and that, well, more in the sense that like I was looking at the time and, if you look at the nonprofit job ads, like 50% fundraising, I was like, okay, well, if yeah. I'm a fundraiser, I kind of have my pick um, comparatively. Mm. Um, and so I went from really narrow to something where I figured, and I, I can kind of read up on a topic because I, I couldn't get good at that. At the Civil Liberties Union, we worked on insane numbers of topics. Like you can write a law about dog walking that violates people's rights because it's you know vague and overbroad. Um, and so we would just have to quickly get up to speed on stuff. Constantly. On dog walking. On, just learn everything there yeah, is to or know. Or like computer crime stuff. Yeah. You know, you think computer crime wouldn't be a like big civil liberties issue, but mm. if you write the law the wrong way, it is. Um, d- okay, I have two questions. You can pick the order. Okay. Did you consider political fundraising or it was that part of it? No. I'm curious why, but I also want to know at that junction, what else was there anything else you were considering? Were there any roads untaken worth talking about now? Um, I don't think so. Um, it was just the kind of bifurcation. I mean, yeah, I still wanted to do. It's so uh, funny. Still how pretty we, bought in to doing nonprofit work and hmm. social change stuff. Gotcha. We didn't we didn't want to loop back to biology. Um No. It's like something maybe I'll do in my retirement. Every once in a while I I read articles. I keep up on some interesting news. I think it's important to have a retirement career plan. <laughs> um why not political fundraising? Um I never was super interested in politics as an endeavor. You know, I'm only interested in it as it impacts life. Um, I don't want to pitch people's brands. You know, that's not what I'm good at. Hmm. I'm good at saying, here's all the information. Here's why it means this. And you should do X, Y, and Z. I'm just, I've done that a lot. I'm really good at it. I'm not good at like, uh, I don't like, uh, you know, I prefer if I have my druthers to be addressing, um, expert audiences. Interesting. Um, how does that go? The fundraising life? The fundraising life goes well. Um, partially in that I raise a bunch of money and, um, partially in that it puts me in touch with a lot of people who are interesting. And if somebody's starting a thing, a nonprofit social enterprise type thing, um, and, they need help or advice. If you've done successful fundraising, then generally they're like excited to hear from you. Uh, so again, it's one of those things that gives you a lot, a lot of options. Um, like I said, 
And so, um, yeah, I raised a bunch of money for things that I think are cool. And it ended up uh, putting me in touch or giving me the ability to kind of offer my services and have them generally accepted to people that I thought were doing the coolest work. Yeah, I've been thinking a lot lately about just what buys you access to a space or a community or whatever and being really skilled at making them money is probably the number one. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, anytime you want access to a new community, you sort of have to offer something, even if it's a social community. It's like, here's what I can bring you. Yeah. Um, Which is kind of capitalist it's it's i don't know it's like kind of kind of upsetting but it's also the basis of communal living exactly yeah um i like to think that communities will accept me just because but just because i'm me colton (laughs) that's called dead weight (laughs) colton shout out colton said the most wonderful thing to me a few days ago like eventually you start making a living just by being your exact self just by being yourself like you move away from selling a skill uh, for wages to selling you as a person. And that's like, that's your peak career moment. Yeah, I've had those, but it doesn't persist. <laughs> even even still. Even still. So what happens next? Um, so I end up through a friend of a friend getting hooked up with people who are starting a new thing in San Francisco. And it's like completely random. Somebody here on holiday for like July 4th um, was an old friend of my housemate um, who I didn't know before he moved in sort of thing. And uh, they were starting this thing called Code for America. And it he she described it to him and his response to her was, you know, you got to talk to a Christian because he's like the only person I know who's into like politics and technology and how they might converge and so he put us in touch and she was the uh founding government relations director for that organization and they at the time they're kind of a big shop now that does a bunch of things but at the time they started with a fellowship for um coders and designers who would spend nine months uh in like three to five person innovation teams and local governments around the country. And so I heard about this and I thought, you know, this is actually interesting. Um, (laughs) And they might actually be able to do something really cool. Um, And so I basically just offered my services to them. And I was like floating at the time. I had left the other job. um, And I said before they were like uh what can you do and i said actually i can do all these things but they were like can you help us raise money sure um and so i built out their fundraising program and i also helped them i did a kind of like general consulting with them uh, early on because they were a bunch of technology people who hadn't worked in the government reform space at all and they had a really cool idea and a really cool program uh concept but they didn't really have a theory of change and they had a rhetoric around what they were doing that was not appealing to government reform people or people who understood how government worked. Though it wasn't really what they were trying to do. A lot of early nonprofits, I think, do this. They have a kind of 
rhetoric that is a mismatch with their actual mission and, and tactics. Because they're like pandering to No, because they've absorbed it from somewhere and they're not really thinking about it deeply. Wanna give us like a quick like what what's the big misstep? Um well, there was no like one huge thing, but um you know, when you're bringing ideas from the private sector in the corporate world in some sense into government, you're, um, you know, part of a long history of people who have done such and who generally come in not understanding government very well and oversimplifying things Mm. and not being very successful. And they weren't really seeing their rhetoric against that backdrop of, of, you know, somebody who's knowledgeable, who's on the government reform side, you know, has seen this happen again. Again, they know this history, they know the tendencies, um, they know the blind spots of actually people who kind of come in these waves to do this work. Um, and so you have to create a, a set of messages that that's, you know, savvy about that. Interesting. Pivoting here. How does this, is this the way that you start writing code? How? It doesn't seem, it's not intuitive. What happens next? Uh, well, it's just, I see, so I'm working with all these designers and developers and the fellowship was, and probably still is, uh, interesting in that they're trying to kind of get those two groups of people up to speed on the other side's work in short order when they start out. So they have a kind of boot camp sort of arrangement. Mm-hmm. And, but because what they do is pretty unique and they're in San Francisco and there's not a lot of like code for good organizations. And especially at the time there wasn't, so this would have been like early 2010, 10s. Um, the, the, a lot of, you know, really important people swing by to say hi and tell you about their life. And a lot of really top shops will do workshops with you and stuff like that. And because I was always a consultant, I had control over my own schedule and I could participate in all these things. And so I was absorbing all that and then just being there at that time um, in the startup community, uh, seeing how it worked, seeing the work that people were doing. Um, and, had, you know, I studied biology. I was a geek. I, I've always been interested in science and uh, wanted to learn to code. And I thought, well, now's the time. I'm around all these people that can help me and <clears throat> I could probably get work if I did it. And so I basically weaned myself from the work I was doing for the organization and used their space all the time um, and spent about 18 months teaching myself to code. And that's now your main source of income? That's like your thing? Feels like your destiny. Just just hearing your story, like you were were never not going to become a coder. It's his destiny. That's the music of the universe. Yeah. We're singing. <laughs> we're singing on Radio Free Brooklyn. Amazing. Uh, well, we're almost out of time. Is there anything else about your story that you really want to impart? Well, now I'm doing a little bit of a crazy thing, which is that um, a lot of intense things are happening in my life and taking my attention. But um, I kind of racked my brain the other day and was like, do you have one idea that you could flesh out in like two to four weeks and like really see if it would get any traction and just go for it right now? And I did that and I thought of something. So I'm kind of in the middle of that. 
doing so a personal a little sprint. masochistic little, but we'll see how it goes it should do you be want done. to plug it is there anywhere we can look for it in the future in or the future you, it will be called better the news better the news yeah betterthenews.com which is just like a blank um wordpress page which would be depressing if you go there right now but uh there's lots of work happening in two to four weeks two to four listeners weeks. go to betterthenews.com and yeah. find what surprise is waiting for you <laughs> exactly very cool uh well, thank you. Th- this was like, we went so many places that this doesn't normally go. I've never said the word entropy on this show before. <laughs> Time to bring it, bring it back, you know. What, it was good in the 80s. We really have like a minute and a half of this, but what motivated you to undergo that exercise that you just described? The, 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 two, the, the sprint, like how can I make something soon? Oh, um, the fact that if I get another job, it's going to be a while before I can. Hmm. Um, and I don't know, it was just like a thing. It kind of worked, you know, people talk about everything was crap. And then I just threw it all on the line and did this thing, not really throwing anything on the line. So it was easy, but it played with that narrative where maybe it'll just work and then I'll have, be getting a good income off it. And then I can like use that to zoom away from some of the bullshit in my life. We're zooming away from the bullshit. (laughs) Wow. Um, okay. We're going to zoom away from the bullshit <laughs> together now. Thank you so much for listening. Radio Free Brooklyn is a nonprofit. Uh, your donations to us are ta- tax deductible. Go to the website, radiofreebrooklyn.com to donate if you are so inclined. Uh, our inclined. theme song, which we haven't been able to get together today, is by Nation of Language. Check them out, even though you didn't hear them today, uh, wherever you get your music. If you're interested in the show, have a crazy life path you want to talk to me about on it, email me, Asha at RadioFreeBooklyn.org. Find the show on Facebook, and please subscribe to me on the Apple podcast store. I want you there, please.